Hello and welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Kinsey, and with me once again after his absence is Josh Cacho. Josh, where are you today? Um, right now I am sitting in a hotel room in Denver, Colorado for some work meetings, but you know, um, on the way here, I decided that I was going to stalk Matias Almeida in the airport, who actually almost missed his flight as I was trying to convince him to come coach the national team for the United States at some point. Well, I'm glad you bring it up because uh, I certainly think Matias Almeida uh, would do a better job than Greg Berhalter, and that's what we're here to do tonight. We are here to talk the U.S. men's national team. So for those of you LAFC fans who are not interested, I'm sorry, but uh, Josh and I have mics, so we're going we're gonna to do this episode. And if you are here to hear about the U.S. men's national team falling to pieces, then this is your spot because that's how Josh and I see it. So Josh, let's get this thing started. What are your takeaways after these two friendlies? Maybe it's not fair to have takeaways, but what do you have? Well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously they, there was a little bit of saving grace and, you know, tying against the number four team and, you know, in the FIFA rankings and so on and so forth, you know, and a, and a good tie against Uruguay. And as an LAFC fan, it was also nice to see Brian Rodriguez score a banger. But beyond that, I think it's been largely disappointing, right? Like you expect to see progress and these different types of things over the course of time. And I think, the one thing that we've been left with is con- more questions as to what what the actual plan is, what the what what is their goal, what is how are they going to play those those types of things, and you just haven't seen much progression. Now, if you were going to tell me that this was happening a year ago after we didn't, you know, after we failed to qualify for the World Cup, then I I'm all about it, right? Like this is the, when you take your lumps and those different things. But at this point in the cycle, right, when we should preparing the U23s for the for, you know, for the Olympics and continuing to build on a team, you know, again, those 23s will likely be the, you know, the, the core of our team moving forward, you know, given, given the talent level that's there. Again, you just expect to see more at this point. And again, it's been, it's been largely frustrating. Um, like I said, given the time, you know, the way that USSF has handled it in terms of just the timing and how they waited for Berhalter and all these different things. And then again, the hiring process is a whole nother story. Uh, and again, I think at this point, I think, and when you see the results that are coming from Mexico, again, you can't help but leave with a bit of frustration. Yeah. So let's, let's back up a little bit and paint a picture here to let everybody know just why everybody is so frustrated at this point. And if you're out here cheerleading Greg Burhalter, this is especially for you. Uh, we fire Bruce Arena. And Dave Sarakin takes over as the interim head coach. And we play a ton of friendlies. Do you know, I don't, I don't know how many friendlies we've played. It had to have been a dozen. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Or at least, you know, it was at least eight, right? Yeah. I'm going to look it up here as I'm talking. But anyway, Dave Sarakin's at the helm. And that's when everybody was giving USSF the benefit of the doubt because they were saying, you know, we're taking our time. We're doing this right. We're going to hire a GM. Uh, you know, we may look really bizarre in these friendlies because we're going to call in everybody. We're going to take a look at everybody in the player pool and decide, you know, kind of use this as an opportunity to regroup while everybody's away at the World Cup. And we'll make our final decisions and we'll hit the ground running. That's the way it was sold to everybody. But that is not what has happened since. Essentially, what we've done now is we've, 
we've wasted an entire year that should have been spent trying to implement whatever Greg Berhalter's system is. Uh, I don't know that you can really call it a system because I, I, I have no idea what it's based on other than the cliche we're going to build out of the back. And anytime Berhalter's in a, in a press conference or you know any, anybody writes about it, Oh, we built out of the back. And, you know, this week against uh, Mexico, that's his, you know, his one instruction is seemingly don't play any long balls, only build out, build out of the back come hell or high water. And I would say both hell and high water came and we got destroyed by Mexico. I think our worst win against Mexico since like 2008. Is that correct? Yeah, I want to see it. Like I said, it's been a long time since I've seen the national team take a beating like this, you know, in any game, really, you know, because yeah. I think the one thing that you could always say about, you know, about the national team was that they were gritty. They were defensive. They were going to make the game difficult for you. Yeah. That was not at all the case, you know, against Mexico in that game. It was pretty much just, a, you know, again, if you were going to compare, I think I compared, you know, the galaxies uh, midfield at, at one point to driving down the four Oh five during rush hour. This yeah. was more like driving Highway 66, you know, with in the middle of you know Arizona with nothing in front of you, mm-hmm. an open space. Right, right. So he's got, you know, we we spend all this time evaluating everybody in the pool. Um, meanwhile, Todd Ramos' side is doing well. They show well at the, you know, at the World Cup, at the U20 World Cup. Um, and things, you know, everybody's seeming seemingly happy with what's going on. They hire Ernie Stewart, and everybody says, well, okay, maybe, maybe. And the whole idea is him as technical director, he's going to go out and he's going to hire a coach, and he's going to set the standard that, you know, the standard of play. This is what the American uh, game is going to look like going forward. And he keeps delaying, delaying, delaying. And we hear stories about coaches who have contacted the national team, names like Lopetegui, are floated around as people that are interested in this job. And eventually it comes out that, oh, well, there's not going to be a decision until, you know, December, late November, early December of 2018. And that's when everybody automatically knew, okay, well, it is Greg Burhalter who had been rumored to to do it and they're just going to let him finish out a season in MLS because we love to <laughs> we love to help MLS out no matter what that was the time all that time we wasted that was the time to give the reins over to Greg Berhalter and try and make something happen I'm not a big uh, national team development guy I don't think that's the, the job of the national team is to develop or the senior national team I should say it's not their job to develop players into, you know, playing a different style. Um, but if there was ever a chance, it was when you miss a World Cup and have two free years, basically. And we blew it. And I think we're living with those results now. Greg Berhalter comes in. He tries to install a system in January. We play a bunch of cupcakes. Um, really, I think the only meaningful win that you really come away with is against Ecuador. And it's a very fluky goal from Jossie Zardes. And uh, 
everybody says, well, you know, you got to give him time. You got to give Greg Berhalter time to get his system installed. And at this point, I don't, I still don't think the system's installed. I don't think he knows the player pool well enough or he, he knows it too well and just doesn't care. I, I, I don't know. Josh, where are you at with all this? Well, I mean, I think like, I think one of the discussions that we've had over the past few weeks, right. And in regards to LAFC is the, the balance between tactics and principles, you know, and then, you know, and Vince, Vince from the club um, had brought this up in one of their podcasts, kind of talking about like, there is that, you know, there's the principles by which this is our style of play. And that's what Bob usually talks about. And then there's a tactics that are going to change from game to game and so on and so forth based on who you're playing against. Right. Mm -hmm. With, with the national team, for whatever reason, you seem to get, you hear a lot of tactical talk, but again, I'm not sure what the principle is nor what the style was supposed to be. You know, and Alexia Lawless had talked about, you know, basically in this whole lead up to hiring their new coach, you know, again, I know he's not everyone's favorite, but again, he had made that point of like, he was okay. You know, it didn't really matter who they hired just as long as there was a, you know, they, they were, you came into it with an opportunity to define the style of, you know, U.S. soccer. And again, I think that's what you largely just lost because and then I, whether or not, you know, maybe that's just because Berhalter is more of a tactical mindset and he just doesn't really have that style or he's so unflexible from with, with what he wants to do from a tactical perspective that he's not willing to look at the pool and say, okay, this is, these are where my best guys are at. And this is how we're going to play because it's not like you're at the club level where, you know, say I play, you know, again, say you're LAFC and you want to play possession style football, right? Are, is the first guy you're going to go out and get is a target, you know, as a target number nine who doesn't move from the middle of the pitch. Probably right. not. Right? right. Or, or, a, or, a, or a you know a washed up Premier League guy who you know he's going to get hurt trying to press on every possession. Those guys aren't going to fit your principles in terms of how you want to go about your 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 game. Could they play a role every now and then? Could they could they make their mark, you know, in certain games based on who you're playing? Absolutely, right. But again, if you're if you're looking over the course of a season, right, which is again from from a certain perspective, that's what the goal is, right? When you used to have guys that fit you know, fit your style every single game. Again, whether, you know, like I said, there's questions to be asked of whether or not Berhalter has been willing to accept that you can't actually go out and find that, you know, like the pool is what it is, right? Like we can demand more of the pool and we can hope that they get better and speak with their club teams and say, hey, these are the things that we, you know, we think that he can do and we would like to see him do more of and da-da-da. But again, it's, it's it's not the club's, it's not the club's position to develop U.S. players, nor is it actually the U.S. Federation to develop those players themselves, right? Like you basically, you know, with it, when it comes to international play, you're basically just taking them, you know, you're taking a group of guys and then hope trying to fit them together within a system that makes sense for who's there, you know? And I think one of the bigger examples of that is England, right? And what you started to see, hear about in the World Cup with, with England, who made, what, a semifinal run? right in this last yeah. world cup um was that you know southgate didn't spend a whole lot of time in terms of trying to implement a style of play or whatever he basically just rolled the ball out there let them do what they do and the thing that they actually practiced the most on throughout the week you know or in preparation was set pieces right right because you, those are things that you just 
you learn and you go over it. You, but trying to learn a style of play is something that takes day in, day out, repetition, and so on and so forth. Like it's look at LAFC. It took two years for them to figure really figure out how Bob wanted them to play and these different things, right? Like yeah. you know, like re- rewind a year ago to any fans, and the team that you saw a year ago is nothing close to what we see now. Right. And so given right. the amount of time that it takes to learn a specific style of play, unless you're taking guys out, like, for example, like the Spanish national team, right, where, where they, the Spanish national team is, is known for its tiki taka. And then you basically took all of Barcelona and plugged them into the system. Right. And then there you go. Yes. And I would say the same thing about the Germans. Yeah. Right. Bayern Munich Just plays Bayern the Munich. long ball, the physical play, all those types yes. of things. And you plug them in and into the national team who plays the exact same way and you're good to go. Right. So if you're if you're taking the US national team and saying, okay, we're going to take LAFC system or Columbus's system in terms of possession style football and da 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 and then we're gonna plug guys in there, it doesn't necessarily work that way when ninety percent of the league plays defensive counterattacking football and then you're ac- coming in and asking them to do a completely different thing when the time comes or, you know, when, when the game rolls around. Right, right. And I mean, not only that, but if you think that the Columbus crew is anywhere near Bayern Munich or FC Köln, or <laughs> you're crazy. I'm sorry. They're just not. And they were never at that level under Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter uh, did make it to an MLS Cup. There's that. But I'm not sure where you know, this master tactician narrative comes from. I have no idea. Uh, he was fired from Hammerby because his teams had no attacking identity. Um, even though that's apparently what he wants to do. He wants to possess the ball and attack, uh, which is like the Barcelona role, uh, the Barcelona style, right? Uh, we play possession-based attacking football, right? And when you watch the U.S. play under Greg Berhalter, it is clear that there are no ideas. There are no sort of like there are apparently no rehearsed patterns of play. I don't I, I don't know what I'm watching out there other than, oh, well, well this time we're going to move the right back into the center midfield. Well, this time we're going to play with wing backs and we're going to keep all the center midfielders central. OK, well, this time we're going to try and pull the eight back a little bit farther and he's going to be more of a pivot. So I, I, I have no idea what I'm watching other than. Kind of like you said, I don't know if it was before we started or, or once we started recording. He seems to be a tactician who's you know always thinking of ways to move the pieces around the board, but there's no principle behind it. There's no uh, there's no true identity other than yeah, we're going to build out of the back because building out of the back is what you're supposed to do. It's kind of the circular reasoning thing where you know well we're supposed to build out of the back, so that's what we're going to do because that's what we're supposed to do. And it ends up making no sense and looking awful. Well, and especially when you don't necessarily have the, like I said, you don't have the horses to do it, right? So if you're going to tell yeah, me... Let's go, in, let's go into that. Let's go into that. Can you dig a little deeper into what you mean there? Right. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, like if there's a if there's a specific principle that, you know, we'd even call it that, right, that Burhalter has asked his players to do, right, is, is basically to be able to play, you know, like you need to have a six who can basically play the play, uh, receive the ball with his back to the goal, flip and turn, and then play passes, you know, play diagonal balls over the top, you know, diagonal balls across the field to the, mm-hmm. either to the tens or to the wingers dropping down into the space. Right. 
And at this point, there's really only, you know, if you look at the player pool, there's only two players in the pool who can do that fairly consistently. One being Michael Bradley, right, who's at the end of his career, and the other being Will Trapp, who, in my opinion, just doesn't have that quality to be able to do that at the international level, right? Yeah. So the frustrating thing is yeah. that if that's your if that's your one thing that you're banking on your team playing in that your one principle your one principle that you're going to use but at the same time that's also potentially one of the weakest parts of our pool then of course you're going to see the failures in in the way that we have right and i think you had brought up some of the things that you saw in um and how they broke down their passing triangles and some of those different things where you know error you know because the six isn't ready to really do anything with it you now have the center backs bringing that ball up and trying to play with it but again you just don't have that anyone in link up play anyone that's kind of sewing it all together and again it 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 begs to be basically just to to be for the system to be kind of thrown out the window and gone gone towards something else the time that you almost saw them play the best was and they kind of just went away from what greg's um tactics were and just play more open and free more counter-attacking you know basically absorb pressure get the ball and then go find Pulisic on the wing and let those guys be fast right that was yeah. when you probably saw the most magic occur from this current team you know again but but not have you know but trying to play a particular principle but that one that doesn't necessarily fall to the national team's strength in terms of the player pool again doesn't really make sense to me yeah so I this is this is really important. This is a huge part of why the U.S. men's national team is not good right now. And I will say that and I, I'm not afraid to admit it that the U.S. player pool is not good. It's not what it should be, given our you know our size and all the resources we've dumped into the development academy and you know all these uh, all these positions at U.S.S. I mean we've thrown so much money at this problem. And nobody can get it right. Um, but let's start with the player pool. I, I really like what you said. I do agree that Michael Bradley is the only six that can actually hit those passes correctly. Will Trapp uh, can kind of get there. But the problem is they're both massive defensive liabilities. So you're going into international play with a, a largely MLS-based, you know, average MLS, maybe above average MLS built line. And the person shielding them is Will Trap. So of course, of course, guys that play in Liga Emeakis are going to be running rough shot over them. That's like that. Nobody should be surprised by this. Um, well, I think one of the interesting thing is like so, now, now that discussion of like what's MLS's role in in terms of how this all kind of sews it together. Become you know what it, what is its actual role in terms of developing domestic talent and so on and so forth. And I think the mm-hmm. interesting that, thing that we've seen is the growth of Major League Soccer has n- not actually come from the player pool unless you're talking from the domestic player pool. It's actually come from the ability for teams to spend 10 money on foreign players, right? Bringing in right. you know, right. the, the level of guys like Adama Diomande or I'm trying to think who else is a 10 player. Um, you know, I mean, you look throughout the league, there's, I mean, Christian Pavone technically I think is a 10 player, right? At this point, this year. And yeah. last year, Zlatan yeah. was a TAM player, right? And so being able to uh-huh. look at those different things, and that's that's actually what's raised the quality, not necessarily the development of the academy. And I don't actually think it's right. it's the responsibility of each of these franchises to develop that talent, right? 
Um, but again, because now it's just a matter of as a national team, when you're selecting those players, you have to be realistic to what you have and then build a system around what your strengths are. This, you know, which is given who we have is probably more defensive, absorbing defensive, you know, absorbing defensive pressure and then hitting balls to our extremely fast wingers, you know, in Pulisic and then Wea when he's healthy and, you know, and then having them trying to feed Sargent, right? As opposed to trying to yeah. play, again, a style of football that, you know, on paper sounds really good, right? I'm sure we would all love to be, everyone would love to be Barcelona, right? But not yeah. everyone ha- can be Barcelona. Not everyone has a Messi, you know? Not everyone has, yeah. you know, a Sergio Busquets who really just sews it all together, right? Or now De Jong or whatever it may be. Um, you know, and again, when you look at what it takes to play that style, Right. So look at the Spanish national team who plays that that possession based style. Right. You have this year, you have Saul and Coque, but before you had um, Busquets, you had um, who's the other six that used to play for them that I'm forgetting at the moment. Anyways, but you had guys who are super comfortable with the ball at their feet, even at the center back, Sergio Ramos, Carlos Puyol. You have wing, wing backs that get up and down the field and are probably better than most, could play midfield for any other team in the, in, you know, in the world. But because you play for Spain, you're rel- you know Jordi Alba is relegated to playing left back, right? But could play right. Right. left mid, left wing for any other team for the most part, you know, outside of like you know obviously the Frances and the Germanys or whatever it may be. But when you have guys that are just that skilled on the ball, then go for it. Play that possession style. Pass the ball around a thousand passes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a game ninety percent accuracy. Those types of things. But when you're the United States, right, where you know, again, it, 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 sometimes it's hard to, you know, it's a hard, tough pill to swallow, but our best athletes don't play, you know, don't play soccer. Right. And we, you know, and, and again, it's not about just plugging in the NFL guy or the NBA guy, you know, like, you know, I remember having those discussions. Oh, what if we put LeBron at goalie, right. Or whatever it may be. And it's not as simple as it's not a simple question as uh-huh. that, but when say you took 50% of the talent that goes into high school, you know, call or, or college football, and you take fifty percent of those athletes who are supreme athletes, and then had them play, fo- you know, soccer growing up. Well, then you're closer to a, you know, some of these other, na- you know, footballing nations, right? Where again, hundred percent of your population works towards becoming the next Neymar in Brazil, right, or the next, you know, right. Ronaldinho right. or whatever it may be, right? Whereas what two to 5% of our, our top athletes are heading toward are probably looking to become, you know, looking to develop a, you know, a career in soccer. Right. So yeah, it's the reality of what you deal with, right. Where again, it's just, it's just, we're just not a nation that it's the focus, but if that's the case, again, are you so sensitive that you can't, you can't realize where your faults are and then build a team accordingly? Because again, I think that was what made the US right. so good and why we've made it to the fifth game that Mexico has never been to, right? Is because you've you've always had a realization of who you were, right? And had an identity in terms of how you just were. embrace yeah. it. And lean into mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And and when you do that, right, and because of the lack of time that you have to actually develop cohesion and 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 a tactic and a style with the national team, right? Or you can develop a tactic, but developing a, a style of play. 
right? It becomes a lot easier when you're, you know, when you've made that, when you actually have that realization as to, okay, this is what we're dealing with. And this is how we can best utilize our strengths as opposed to, again, coming in with almost a club mentality where it's like, it's either my way or the highway. You can either go or you stay. But again, when you can't replace, you know, uh, Luis Suarez with an Anton Griezmann the next year, because you just, you find the next guy that fits. Yeah. Well, then good luck. Yeah, one of these things that I want to dig into a little bit more is, can you name me any American that plays in a possession-based system at a high level? I mean, Pulisic's probably the closest thing at Chelsea, right? But they're not even playing well at the moment. But they do play possession. You have the one, right? right? The Wonder Boy. Um, Mm-hmm. Right, and, and that's why he's as good as he is. But like, I mean, right? who else? Um, who else? Maybe Tyler, Tyler Boyd at Besiktas. I mean, given the Turkish league is usually largely yeah. controlled by two teams, but outside of that, you know, the majority of your best players, whether it's McKenny, you know, who plays on a lower level Bundesliga team, you know, or ninety percent of the, you know, ninety percent of the of the MLS guys. You know, again, Walker Zimmerman is your center back who plays in a possession right. style. Right. So this this is my point, though. Right. The guys that play, you know, in a in the in possession based systems, you you end up at MLS teams real fast. And Walker Zimmerman, I think, is probably an above average MLS defender who really benefits from Bob Bradley's system. Um, I'm sorry, LAFC fans. That's just I don't I don't know if he's got it. You know, if he's got it at the international level. And I think right now he's probably maybe our fifth or sixth best center back in the player pool. Um, but this brings me to, you know, they say oh, plenty of MLS fans will say, well, yeah, I mean, Trap and Zarda is playing a possession-based system still at Columbus Crew. And it's like, okay, but they don't do it at the level necessary to compete internationally. And I would say the same thing about the boys over in Seattle. Well, and, and, yeah, and but even the... And think about where, you know, like at least Seattle's doing well. Like, think about where the Columbus crew are. Like, yeah, they're playing possession, right? But how good are they right. doing? Right. I think, I don't even think they, they're the 11th best team in the Eastern Conference, yeah. right? With those two guys as your best players. Okay. If, if you know, if you're going to tell me that, you know, Jazzy is a, a DP and da 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 and he's got quality, well, your team should be better than 11th place. Yeah. Right. If, if you're going to be the guy that leads the line and does these different things for the national team, right? because at this point, right, you have you have a 29 year old and, and to quote, um, you know, the great uh, Paximabical, you have a 29 year old playing for a league that's not very good for a team that's 11th place in their in their, you know, in their division, you know, or in their conference versus a guy, a young guy who's playing, you know, for you know, uh, one of the better teams in the Bundesliga. Okay, tell me who deserves to start in that position. You know, who has the better upside at this point heading forward, right? At this point, I there really is no reason for, um, you know, for uh, for Zardes or Trap for that matter to ever yeah. start another game for the National. So let me let me to kind of put a bow on this on this part right now, um, and make sure that we are not just spinning ourselves in circles here. We talked about the about U.S. soccer taking forever to make a hire. And when we did make a hire, it was a very mediocre MLS coach who was apparently a great tactician. They bring him in. 
and we continue to bring in players who are not suitable for that system the one system that they that they took a year to go out and find and and you know hire the guy because they liked his system uh we don't have the players to play that style on the international level and there's also a question of is this system any good anyway we don't know because the players are t- are poor the, the player selection is poor i should say and the results have been awful they have not been good uh you have lots of people out there trying to point to the Uruguay match, you know, oh, well, this was, this is a bounce. They bounced back from, from the Mexico defeat. And, uh, it's like, no, they, they were playing Uruguay in St. Louis on a baseball field with a terrible pitch divots all over the place. Uruguay wanted nothing to do with the ball yet. You're going to point to 60% possession against Uruguay and the flukiest of all goals from Jordan Morris, uh, as, some sort of success? I don't know. I, I don't understand it. So at this point, we've wasted well, all And the a Uruguay team that didn't even... And Uruguay's not even featuring their best team. No. Right? It's, no. You know, if you're going to celebrate a 1-1 victory against Uruguay, I better see Luis Suarez and Cavani, you know, and and their best guys out there. Right. right? Largely, we saw, a few, you know, we saw a lot of guys who are on the verge of blowing up, you know, whether mm-hmm. that's Jimenez at Atletico you know, or Betancourt from uh, Juventus, right? Guys that are, are have played well and are on the verge of, but they're definitely not the cream of the crop when it comes to, you know, to Uruguay. You know, they're not the reason why, let's put it this way, they're not the reason why Uruguay has has risen to fourth in the FIFA rankings, right, right. right? It's not because of the guys that we played against. Yet you're, again, people are going to celebrate that as, that as some kind of beacon of hope as to, Oh, look at all the things that we did right against this powerhouse. Yeah, well, and this is another problem, and it's something that I've been tweeting about more and more lately, uh, and I think I'm getting myself in trouble for doing so, uh, is the the media around the U.S. men's national team especially is terrible. It's terrible. Uh, the idea that you can put, again, that, that they're out there pushing – you know, the Uruguay match is some sort of success. And, oh, well, we just got to give Greg time because it's clearly working. Look at us possess against Uruguay. Uh, it's clear that they don't know what they're watching. There's there's no way you could watch that match and say the U.S. is, you know, really taking the game to Uruguay. They're dictating everything. It's No, it's Uruguay not caring about this match at all. Yeah, no, and then that's the thing. And so... I think there's, I think the one word to describe, you know, the media that surrounds U.S. soccer is is more or less just sensitive, right? Yeah. Given given that they've been essentially, you know, like the the you know the the forgotten child of American sports, right? You always see the little thing. It's like, oh, this team, you know, this team has won the first major, you know, the first major championship in this city's history, right? And I don't remember right. who it was recently that they brought that up, and it's like, oh, what about you know Toronto? Oh, I think it was Toronto at the you know during you know, again, and that that's in Canada. Uh, with right? the Raptors, yes, right. So the Raptors when it's like, oh, first championship in in city history, and then you have you know MLS writers chiming in, oh, what about the you know someone forget about TFC? It's like, no, they didn't. It's just yeah. no one cares, right. right? And and it's a tough pill to swallow from a lot of you know from the perspective of a lot of you know, soccer journalists and, you know, and so on and so forth, you know, domestically. 
but at the same time, it's really just the reality of what it is. And unfortunately, being sensitive in that sense and trying to protect the team and the sport and how, you know, whatever, and having that sense of inferiority to, you know, American football and basketball, right, doesn't do anyone any good. Because again, at that point, we're not willing to call out, again, the, the obvious faults when it comes to the, you know, the federation or the team in itself, you know, and how they've handled various situations over the years. Yeah. You know, and again, I think it was, there's a couple of things where they, you know, we basically just said, you know, whether it was Lennon Donovan not making, you know, the, you know, Klinsman's team to go to the, the 2014 World Cup or so on and so forth, you know, and again, what had Landon really done at that point to deserve it, right? And like, but at the same time, were, were we willing to just turn a blind eye to everything that's happened over the thing just to say, oh, he belongs there? And the, no, we're, I mean, this is sports. It's a meritocracy. We don't care. You know, it's what have you done for me lately? And it's how yeah. it really should always be, right? And, you know, if you want to bring him on for a testimonial game to send him on his flight, awesome, right? But do it in a game that doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Basically, yeah. like what Uruguay did, you know, was how Uruguay was playing when they came to go play us this weekend. We're playing it like it's a World Cup final and then, you know, celebrating a draw. Like, again, we just won the World Cup. Yes. I know. It's crazy. Uh, one thing you said there is kind of this inferiority complex regarding the NBA and the NFL. And this is something that I want to get into also. Just with American soccer in general, the idea that we have to fit the mold of the NFL and we have to contort everything we do to avoid competing against them in order to provide, uh, you know, a, an actual audience. And maybe that was true 20 years ago. I don't think it's true now. I don't think you have to be playing through an international break in MLS to keep things, you know, to keep the league afloat. I don't think you have to be uh, using a, a playoff system to determine who your champion is. Uh, just because the, that's the way the NFL or American sports are in general. I don't think you need 32 teams. I definitely don't think you need a franchise model. Uh, I think uh, you can count me in on the pro-rel side of that argument. Um, and I, the, uh, it's just so frustrating to watch U.S. soccer and MLS continually uh, – have this inferiority complex and do everything they can to appease the other sports in the nation. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing is like to a certain degree, I feel like there's, yeah, maybe this is going to be unpopular, but I think Garber's Garber's background coming from the NFL actually serves the league well in terms of how to build it. Right. In terms of how to build it to the American audience and those different things. And it was important to get it to that point. But at the same time, I think we do have this weird influence coming from, again, the majority of soccer fans in Major League Soccer aren't your typical NFL fans, right? And there's a a disconnect in in the lifestyle, the politics, all these different things that come into play. And I think now that all these things, you know, now that the league has gotten to a certain point, you're now seeing all these things clash, you know, and and how things are perceived. And, And to that point, right? Like I said, I, I honestly think Garber's done what he's needed to to build the league to this point. But now yeah. you have this weird clashing of, oh, but we need to do things a certain way or da-da-da-da. You know, whereas I don't think Garber cares. He just wants to make money, right? Which is what he's supposed to do as commissioner of the league, right? And in, in, in at least in terms of how we've we've built our model around the NFL. And again, in, 
it makes sense to a certain degree, in my opinion. But at the same time, you also have to look at it from a different lens and different perspective, as opposed to, again, constantly feeling like you're the, you know, like you said, having that inferiority complex. Yeah. And I think the kind of the unintended consequence, and I do agree with you that they've done a good job of steadying the ship with the league where it was ready to fold a couple of times. And, you know, they've been able to, because, because they have a few key owners that have been able to uh, weather the storm, they've been able to keep anyone with afloat. a turf field. Yeah. At this yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, and again, this is, this is, that's a good thing. I'm glad, I'm glad the league exists. I'm glad it's getting better, but, it's only going to continue to get better and we're only going to improve American soccer as one giant entity if we do talk about these changes. So for me, it's okay to start saying things like maybe we need to look into adjusting the way we do things. And I think you made a great point about, you know, the typical U.S. soccer fan isn't necessarily the typical NFL fan. And if they are, then great. That's fine. You've, you've already made it. But I don't, I don't think anybody needs to be told, well, this is how the playoffs work. I mean, is it that big of a deal that in the NFL we play single elimination games and in the NBA and MLB there are, uh, they play series? And I, I mean, I realize that's still part of a, a playoff structure, but nobody really says like, oh, well, this is the one way to do it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I just don't see how MLS doing it there, you know, the same way is critical to mission success. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, at the same time, like I said, in, in terms of the national team and U S soccer as a whole, right. I think again, it just puts it in a weird, in a weird position where they haven't been able to, I think it feeds into that larger problem of not having that style of play or that just that's that kind of principled approach to how you go about it. Right. You know, whereas, you know, you look at, you look at the, you know, the NFL, and there's a very distinct principle behind how they approach it. It's, you know, get the bag, right? And you're basically just trying to make as much money as possible and how you do it and at what cost doesn't really matter, right? And that's the NFL's approach to a lot of things. Whereas the NBA is, you know, has a principled approach in terms of, you know, we want to actually lift up certain players and that are, you know, it's player empowerment. It's those types of things. Major League Soccer hasn't quite figured that out, nor has U.S. Soccer and it. Again, it's much of the detriment to the point where you don't have, again, an identity of, of how you're supposed to go about it. And I think when, when they accepted being the underdogs, when they accepted being, you know, again, the the one having to be gritty, having to be that person, they actually play better. And again, with, with more, I think, more passion and more of an, and then a better approach to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, the, and this goes back to... Uh, how we develop players here in this country. If you go watch even a lot of club soccer this weekend, just go find somewhere, go watch, I don't know, uh, 1,200 boys. You're going to see kick and chase, kick and chase, kick and chase, winning 50-50s. Uh, that's the way it's all direct. It's, you know, win the ball, go to goal. That's how, that's how we look at the sport here in this nation. I, I don't think that's right. Um, but that's where you have to start. And this goes back to, you know, why can't, why can't we play Greg Berhalter style on the international level? And it's because nobody really grew up playing like this. Uh, and I think just now you're starting to see 
the academy start to start to change that a little bit where you have players being developed like they would be at Barcelona or, or elsewhere. Um, little things like how to receive the ball properly and how, you know, how you're using your hips to open up new, new passing lanes. But that's not how Will Trapp was trained to play soccer. And that's not his fault. That's just the way it is. So I think you, I think you're right there. You know, most of our players are described as gritty and, and aggressive and physical, um, but they're not the most skilled and they never have been. That's why Christian Pulisic is this big anomaly because he does have so much skill on the ball. Um, but yeah, but, but I mean, exactly. because he grew up playing indoor soccer. Yeah. But I mean, if you, to that point, right. If you think about that, right. To play a certain, a certain way basically takes indoctrination, right? You, you, yes. you look at, yes. you look at La Masia and you say, okay, the reason why everyone who comes through that Academy plays a specific style of football is because basically from the time that, those kids move from their homes, you know, again, sometimes much of the chagrin of FIFA, you know, and them taking 12 year olds and buying 12 year olds from Japan and other places. Um, you know, they're, you know, basically when they actually begin playing football, they're playing a specific way from the age of five. Right. But because of the the yeah. system that us soccer is allowed to kind of, you know, perpetuate throughout, you know, throughout, you know, throughout the country in terms of pay to play and those different other things, you don't have a distinct style of football within the country. And again, it's the country's huge. So it's harder to, it is definitely hard to do that, but you don't even have in a regional style, right? You, you know, like, I, you know, like there, is there a specific West coast style of playing, playing, you know, playing versus an East coast versus a North versus the South you have it in American right. football. Right. I mean, for the longest time, you have like, mm -hmm. look at college football. The Big 12 is all about, you know, there's zero defense. You score a thousand points a game. You throw the ball over the park, all right. those kind of things that, whereas you go to the SEC and, you know, it changed a little bit as of late, but, you know, for the longest time, it was ball control defense, right? The West Coast was more mm -hmm. pro style, da -da -da -da, like those types of things. You don't have that at all within our, our current system of U.S. soccer. And again, it's led to a lot right. of issues because, again, if you don't even have a regional style, Right. And so, you know, at least if you had a regional style, you could say, okay, I'm going to take all the kids from the West coast because they all play possession style football. Right. Or if I'm going to take all the kids from the East coast because they're really good at bunkering and playing counterattack or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But again, because of the way that you've structured it and how people are getting paid to do certain things, right. You're basically just have teams that are created because it's something to do on a Saturday, you know, to get your kids out of the house, you know, have some orange slices and call it a day. It's not a lifestyle, right? It's something to do. Yeah. To fill your time, you know, between text messages. Yeah. And this is, so a lot of times when we talk about the U S national team pay to play comes up, this is something. So I have four little boys, uh, and it's something that hits close to home for me because, uh, they all they all love the sport but there's not enough time uh on a trip around the sun on this rock for me and my wife to have all four of them on traveling club teams every single weekend like it's just it's not physically possible and that's how difficult it is to have your kid play meaningful soccer uh to where you have you know people paying thousands of dollars to get them in the right club um under the right coach and then what happens is when you pay that much money for your child to be on a team, you expect results no matter what. So coaches abandon their, their principles and their styles, right? And they just go after the win. 
which I realize is a bit ironic that we're saying, hey, Greg Berhalter, abandon your principles if you have any and just go win. Um, but it's like we've said earlier, the time to make those mistakes and to learn to play a principled style of soccer is when you're a kid. Um, and it's it's not once you finally make it to the youth to the to the senior national team. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I mean just I think for to a certain degree, like it's it's the clubs, it's up to specific clubs that develop that style of play, right? So it's you know it, yeah. in a, in that scheme, yeah, it can be largely regional. And there could be club. To there club. have been clubs. Yeah, the, I mean, there have been clubs that have done it, and I uh, cover your ears, LAFC fans. Uh, the Galaxy, I think, were one of the better clubs at doing it, and we've seen a couple other uh, develop. You know, academies do well. I think Red Bulls is putting out a lot of talent. Um, Dallas, much in their style, the, the best of all. Of Dallas, also, yes, yep. Um, but LA, uh, the Galaxy were the were the recipients of the Chivas USA kids, who were all you know. That's Efra Alvarez. That's Uli Lanes. If I remember correctly, Alex Mendez, all these kids that are just now, you know, breaking from the U twenties to the senior national team and signing these big contracts. No, what the Galaxy got wrong was their was the transition from from youth to, to professional player, right? Because again, they, you know, as much as we would, you know, you can praise them for developing them, they didn't keep any of them, and they all headed off to Europe for yeah. one reason or another, and you know, in disagreements with how they're how things were being handled, you know, how their careers were being handled. And so, you know, again, yeah. there, there's, there is a little bit of, you know, again, I think some of those things are being sorted out now as, as that becomes more of a thing, you know, in U S soccer, right? Like, in the, I think that MLS clubs have realized that I think that's, that's, that's your role, right? It's, it's develop and sell, right. As opposed to, you know, again, yeah. try and, and you know, when the galaxy have just constantly kind of brought players in, right? You you do it at the cost of development because if for as good as Efren Alvarez is, how much has he played for a galaxy team that probably could use his creativity? Not at all. Right. right? They're still right. running out, you know, Joe Corona and Sebastian Leggett and you know, and then Tuna and some of these different guys. But Zlatan was even mm-hmm. when he pointed out how good, you know, how good Alvarez really was. Right. Yet, for whatever reason, yeah. you know, again, they haven't been able to really push him to that next level. And again, whose whose job is that? You know, and and how we go about it from a national league perspective is a whole other story. But at the same yeah. time, like I said, I think. Well, do you know Do you know the story behind behind that coach at Chivas USA, Brian Clive? I just saw like oh, there's an article that dropped recently about it. Correct. About the whole. Yeah. So the Galaxy fired him because his brother represents a handful of those kids. Uh, it sounds like an, they saw it as a conflict of interest. His brother, Gary, who uh, ruffles lots of feathers on Twitter. Um, but so uh, Brian Clyburn, he was basically sneaking in to watch the Bielsa coached Argentina side in like the Copa America and stuff a long time ago. And he kind of developed his own system on how to play, you know, possession based soccer and he started, uh, you know, coaching and having more success. And he wound up at Chivas USA with all these kids um, who I think he pulled from another club that he was coaching, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, video started to surface in like 2012, 2013 of them playing, you know, and at this point, they're like 11 years old. And they're, they're you know, they're passing the ball around the pitch like Barcelona, basically. Um, 
And so that's, you know, that's where, that's where all these kids come from. They all come from one academy, all these, you know, young, promising talents. Uh, but it's again, because, you know, one coach had the, the cojones to go out and sneak into practices and, and, you know, actually learn. Yeah, or, Whereas if you, if you go take the U S soccer license, uh, course, like it's, have you ever taken one? Yeah, It's like, and I take the free one, but I think in total, it's like $5,000 to get your license. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. If you want to get like an A license and yeah. Uh, but even to, like the lower, le- the lower level licenses and stuff, they're just kind of like, Oh, we let the kids play and then practice and then play. And we only let the game teach them, which is fine. I mean, I understand the methodology, uh, you know, and the kind of the reasoning behind that. But, uh, I tried to implement it with one of my first teams that I coached and it was like, okay, these kids aren't getting any individual skill. They're not learning anything important because I'm just letting them play and they're dictating everything. So you, again, you kind of come back to this, you know, one kid dominates everything and plays direct, but anyway, that's a long tangent there. Sorry. No, but I mean, I think it speaks to that larger thing, right? About how he was, you know, the reason why they had a specific style and how they could play a certain type of football was because there was a principle by which he started it and it was, and it was implemented at the lower levels and they kept on going and going and going. Right. But currently the way right. that U S right. soccer is, is, is kind of set up. You don't have that style implemented at every level, right. Whether that's from a club yeah. perspective or even just within the development Academy, I'm not sure that every, you know, again, I, and I've heard they're basically just waiting for Ramo tab Ramos's contract to run out so they can let him go because they don't really want him there, which is unfortunate because to me, he's the best coach. Yes, the whole federation. Absolutely. Right. And so crazy. And so again, it's just one of those things where again, it speaks to the larger failures of us soccer and, and, you know, and then, and now you see the after effects in terms of how the national team, the senior national team is playing. Right. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. you go back and you see how, you know, how the U twenties played, right. They played with style. They played with aggression. Those different things, and he's pulling those guys from all over the globe, right? Dest from Ajax. You know, you have yeah. Wea from, you know, from playing in France. You have Sargent, who's playing. You know, no, Sargent wasn't on that team. Who's the Soto? He's playing in Hanover, right in Germany. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're pulling all these guys from different teams who all play different styles of, you know, who all play a different way, but yet they can figure out a style to play. But for whatever reason, Bur- when Burhalter tries to do it, it all goes out the door. Right. Did it mean yeah. that there weren't some yeah. deficiencies, you know, in the midfield in terms of like, I think it was, they didn't really have a true six and some of those, you know, and I, again, I now after talking to Vince and what Bob said about those true, true nine, true six things, it gives me nightmares, but you know, not having, you know, like a holding midfielder who can kind of direct traffic, you know, they, they probably could have used another, another guy who could have done it better, but at the same time, right. They had a specific style and then how they went about it and, and tab, I think, you know, to, you know, to his credit, empowered them to play their best version of themselves as opposed to, and I guess I think Halter's inflexibility sometimes leads to, you know, again, them, them doing things that are a bit out of character, you know, and even when you demand that I'm still not sure they're good enough to actually ever get there, right? It's one thing to demand that if they're capable, it's a whole nother thing to demand it and the, and the guy's just not good enough. You know, I think that's what you see with, yeah. with Trap. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is a good start, a good spot to wrap this up since we're kind of circling back. But I do agree, the the uh, terrible logic of 
we're going to play a certain style despite the fact that we don't have the players, but we're still going to try it. Like, it's just, it's so maddening to me. Um, and I I do wonder when everybody else is going to have enough of Burhalter. Um, I, I'm not sure how long his leash is, but it seems to be about 50-50 people are finally, you know, people are saying, all right, this is not it. This is not going to work. And other people saying, well, he still needs more time. I don't know how much more time he does need. Uh, he's had an official tournament. He's had, you know, it, oh, it's got to be about nine or ten friendlies at this point. And it hasn't ever looked good. I mean, we got, what What did we beat Trinidad and Tobago? Six nothing or something in the Gold Cup? Yeah, and that was the last good game. But it's like, congratulations. That was That's fantastic. You beat the people that you should have never lost to to start off this whole fiasco back in 2018. But uh, I don't know. How how long do you think his leash is? Do you think Nations League does is of any importance? Well, I would like to think so. But at the same time, given that guy just retired from the Federation and the leading candidate to replace him is Jay Berhalter, you know, Triple oh, G's boy. brother. You really want to drag this out, don't you, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, again, and again, that, that again speaks to larger issues with, with how they've handled the hiring process and all these different things. And again, until some of these different things change, honestly, I think we're in for another, you know, you're, should things not change from a structural perspective, I bet my guess is that you're going to see a, you know, general, a generation of talents wasted within the system. Yeah. Yeah. And the the terrible thing is it's a it's a strong generation you know all these young kids have a lot of promise they're all making big moves to europe and i'm sorry mls truthers that is important if for nothing else it's an external validation of of what they're doing of their of their talent level um even if you if if you can't see it yourself uh you should take that as some sort of validation um and the idea of losing all of them, much like we lost the last generation, uh, we could be in this, you know, in this pit for a very long time. Man, that was probably the most saddening, sadded podcast we've ever recorded so far. But unfortunately, it's the reality of, of things to come. Again, should things not change, unfortunately. Yeah, I, the, the problem is I don't know. I, I wish I could end it on a positive note, but I don't know where to look for uh, for any real sort of hope because there is promising talent out there and maybe maybe Burhalter eventually does start calling it in and we do see the end of Will Trapp and we do see the end of Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan. But as of now, it seems like that is his core. His core is, you know, all these average-ish MLS players. And uh, if that's the case, then I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough time qualifying, and it's going to be an early exit at the World Cup if that's the way it goes. Man, what a way to, way to what a way to uh, to start this one off, huh? But again, definitely things we need to yeah. say and so, things I think that it's again the reality that we're facing. Yep. So, yeah. All right. Well, if you're an L tree fan that lasted this long, I'm sure you'll be happy with that ending. So you're welcome. <laughs> All right, Josh. 
No, Anything else? I think we'll be back with a instant reaction tomorrow after the game. Um, you know, and get back to hopefully a more, a more positive side of things with the way LFC has been playing. And I think we should start. To, we should see yes, the return yes. of Carlos Vela, and so be on the lookout for that. And then again, yep. our our full our full analysis coming out probably next Tuesday. Yeah, all the internationals are back. Big game against Philly, uh, especially considering that a win against them would leave only NYCFC. Uh, in the in the hunt for the supporter shield with us, so it's a big one on Saturday. All right, Josh, we will talk Good to one. you then. Good night. Good night.